And good morning, we are live. Welcome to episode four of the podcast. And here I have another special guest with me. This time it's my dear friend, Besswart. So welcome to the show, Besswart. Glad I can make it to the show, man. So what's been up lately? What 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 do you think? So you as, as a person, as a male teen, what do you think life is like? You know, have you ever noticed that like the sun is very similar in appearance to this, the nucleus of a cell. What? I mean... Yeah. Like, it's crazy when you think about it, but like, if you look at a picture of the sun, right, mm-hmm. and then you compare it to a picture of like a cell's nucleus, they're literally identical in shape and appearance, man. And, you know, when I first noticed that, I was like, yo, th- this can't be, like, like this can't just be a coincidence, you know? I mean, in the school illustrations, they do look alike with like the dots on the surface. But what cell though? Like animal cells, surely. I don't think plant cells have those kinds of nucleus. It's like an animal. Yeah, animal cells. Wow. So like, does that make the solar system like a cell itself? I mean, if you think about it, like, is the universe really infinite? Like, people keep saying that, like, the universe is constantly expanding, but, like, where is it expanding to, exactly? Like, if you were to, hypothetically, like, cross the boundaries of the universe, cross the borders, where would you end up at? Oh, man, you're asking the deep question, so, uh, I mean, that's some physics stuff, but... I guess the universe it's not expanding into something because according to like the big bang theory right so Mm -hmm. like there was a big explosion right Right. and the whole observable universe now keep that in mind observable universe was created and ever since then the universe has been constantly expanding and you know I've always wondered to where exactly because beyond the boundaries of the universe is it just empty space but how is space empty you know like surely there has to be like atoms right hydrogen atoms and stuff like that well, they've been asking that for they they don't know either i think we have, we have no way to know like what comes after space i don't think there's something comes after space it's Every single atom is made up of 99.9% empty space. Yeah, uh-huh. And so, you know, this obviously raises the interesting question, how much of us are we actually, you know? Like, how much are we just empty space? Damn, you're making me think now. So, then what do you think? Is the universe even expanding at all? Well, I don't think the universe is expanding per se, because I personally believe that the universe is infinite. How can something be expanding if it's infinite? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Because if something is infinite, like, you know, where would it be expanding to? Like, how can it be even bigger than it already is? Right. So when you take a look at the universe, what approach do you follow them? Let's let's categorize them into the religious one, the religious the religious one, and the scientific one. So, which one do you subscribe to? I mean, I personally think, right, that like, you know, because throughout history, um, religion and science have actually, you know, 
cooperated well mm -hmm. with one another. Like, remember the Islamic Golden Age, right? Yeah. Like, actually, one of the very first people who came up with the theory of evolution was... Yeah, an, I think I've heard of an Arabic... An, an yeah, Arabic an Arab scholar, scholar yep. from the Abbasid Caliphate right. who first came up with the idea of species changing over time to better suit their environments. Mm -hmm. And Darwin would later, you know, take this theory thousands of years later, but, you know, remove any mention of God from the equation. So he would... Uh, propose a more um, secular, a more atheistic theory of evolution, if you will. Um, no, because I was reading something similar and was basically asking the question on why did um, the West, basically Europe, advance so much more rapidly than all, um, all the other parts of the world. And it said when it comes to religion, uh, Christianity, which was the main religion of Europe, is actually quite similar to Islam in many ways. And they both want to approach closer to God. But um, in Islam, um, that approaching closer to God means living as close as the way of the Prophet as possible. That's what Sharia law basically is, uh, returning to the golden generation of the Prophet. Yep. But in Europe, approaching God, um, basically they created the idea that since God created the earth and everything in it, the only way to truly approach God is to learn everything there is about earth and then we'll discover the truth about God itself. So in Christianity, instead of trying to return to the past, to a past generation, they tried to learn as much as possible, advance as much as possible, and then maybe one day we can actually get closer to God. So that's why they, they took learning so much more seriously. So it comes, the question then asked and is, if we want to really know what God is, we have to answer these questions, the truth about the universe, what comes after it, where the universe is expanding to, and that's how you approach God. But it's a, these are very deep topics, you know. Then again, like in Europe, there was that whole Age of Enlightenment thing. Yeah, the, um, it, it's a consequence of this way of thinking. It's just they thought the more they discover, the more they think, the more they'll get closer to God. It's the opposite of everywhere else in the world. Yep, even like Newton himself, who many uh, credit as you know, starting the Age of Enlightenment when he published his uh, Principa Mathematica. Mm -hmm. um, he was actually a very religious person himself. And he personally believed that um, by discovering the secrets of the universe, yeah. by studying everything there is to know about the universe, you that we could get discover... No, that we can discover more about God himself. Yeah, that's how it goes. And then, and then obviously came the Age of Enlightenment and the promotion of the scientific method over the religious method. And all of that culminated with, of course, the Industrial Revolution, and we all know how it went from there. Its consequences? Yep. Oh, <laughs> speaking of the Industrial Revolution and its consequences, you know, um, I personally think, right, that the Industrial Revolution... You know, it had some goods here and there, you know, like life expectancy um, on average increased mm -hmm. for, you know, populations around the world. But the Industrial Revolution also, you know, created conditions, unnatural conditions and ways of um, thinking that humanity hadn't been, you know, adjusted to up until that point. Like, 
like the factories, for example, you know, um, you know, before that point, you would just uh, wake up early in the morning when, when the sun came out and you would just work the field from sunrise to sunset. Mm -hmm. You had no specific, you know, um, time to work. Right. But then came um, the Industrial Revolution, you know. First of all, you know, clocks were invented, right? Mm -hmm. To track time and for workers to arrive to the factory on time. But the factories, they needed a lot more labor, so they also used a lot of children in them, often without paying them at all. And, and that's just the beginning. Yeah. Then... Um, you know, these factories, obviously, they used a lot of natural resources and all these resources because, you know, when you burn something, obviously, um, you know, toxic materials yeah. come out. It, it basically, one of the main things, if I have to split humanity, the history of humanity down, if I have to cut it in the middle to split into two parts, I choose the Industrial Revolution because... Um, Life changed so much in, in such an unprecedented amount. It's never happened before in human history. Not in the agriculture revolution, not after it, not Christianity, nothing. We went from still being relatively close to nature to completely... Going, Separated from yeah, nature. Uh, nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We, we, we were no longer part of nature. We were something else. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self. Oh man, nah, now you're talking some crazy stuff, man. So, a secretion of sensory experience and feelings program with total assurance that we are each somebody, when in fact, everybody's nobody. Oh man, where you learn this stuff, bro? Bro, you need to watch some things, man. You know, I, I would recommend a lot of shows, actually. Um, yeah, because um, movies, um, if you follow social media, they've developed this new, let's say, like a new type. Maybe it's one big coping mechanism. It started as a joke, obviously, the, the, the Sigma male. That's what, oh, that's what they call it. Oh. So it's basically this type of male. It's not scientifically proven. The lone wolf. Yeah. That works outside the boundaries of society, doesn't care what anyone thinks about him. Yeah, it's basically that cool character that we always tried to be when we were younger. And um, I've actually seen like a lot of movies and series that you should watch to base your personalities. Like we've all seen The Godfathers and um, The Al Pacinos, uh, maybe uh, Breaking Bad and Peaky Blinders and there, there's American Psycho. When you see Fight the Club and Joker, they never end. But when you see them, as in the movie itself, the protagonists—they're obviously evil people, and yet so many people relate to them. Think of how many people relate to the Joker. But when you see his actions in the movie, it's completely psychotic. He kills people. He's mentally unstable, and yet people find him attractive. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know modern society basically forces people to act the complete opposite of how they want to act. Because, um, you know, according to Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, every person, right, every person has a shadow. And this shadow is a manifestation of their unconscious, you know, thoughts and feelings that, um, that people constantly hide from society because, you know, 
Jung basically um, divided um, the human mind into into three separate, um, you know, parts. So there's, you know, the outer part, you know, whether, you know, it be um, the outer world, society, um, which, you know, has, um, which... Um, well, um, we try to project ourselves as much uh, as as best as possible in from society, which it influences. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I meant to say. It has an influence on your consciousness. Right. And then the second part is the persona. The persona is basically the mask that you wear in public to hide your true feelings, to hide your real thoughts from yeah. other people, and then the third part is your unconscious and this is where a lot of the uh, Jungian archetypes manifest themselves the conscious no the sh like the shadow uh -huh. the anima and the animus right and and Jung basically tells us that a person has to try and embrace their shadow manifest their shadow into their consciousness because if they don't the shadow will end up consuming them and influence um, influence their conscious something similar I've heard so um, everyone would basically have the idea that when you play video games like uh, The Witcher, Skyrim, Call of Duty you try to be in that game everything that you can't be in real life you know in real life you can't look that beautiful you can't um, be that strong and kill that many monsters we just can't do that so we try to play out a better version of ourselves in video games. We basically role play as what we would like to be. But what if we think of it another day, another way? What if when, for example, you go, when you play a video game and you go on a killing spree and you kill many characters, that's not how you like to be, but you can do it in real life. Maybe that's how you really are. So that's like a new, a new thing. What if that's your true inner self, but you can't project it in the real world. You can't go around killing people in the real world, but in the video game, we are free and we can do basically we can project how we really are so it changes it so when you kill someone in video in the video game it's not because you can't um, basically it's not that that's how you want to be it's that that's how you are but you just can't project it everywhere else video you know games offer us a platform to project the shadows of as you said you know what's really messed up mm -hmm. on average one person commits suicide every 40 seconds 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 wow, that's like a hundred people since this episode started damn that's actually crazy when you think about it yeah it's more people die of suicide than um covid than um ba a lot of more problems almost more people die by suicide than cancer and yet more people in japan died by suicide in october alone than eight months of covid yeah i know that well, I want to return back to an earlier topic, kind of related to the Sigma male archetype that we demonstrated as well as the Industrial Revolution. You know, there are many jokes about it. I think it's, um, we've created these archetypes in order to escape reality, to create something which we can project our true selves. When you watch, the Ameri uh, when you watch American Psycho and you see him uh, killing people, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's obviously bad, morally wrong, and yet something attracts you to it. And then we make those jokes. For example, it makes you feel cathartic. Yeah. For example, there's this American terrorist. He's now in prison, 
he basically committed a series of murders and attempts by uh, mailing bombs in 1990s. Theodore J. Kaczynski. Yeah, you know him yep. as well. He's very popular in the community, let's say it, in the community of young schizophrenic males, if I say so. And basically, his idea was that this society has destroyed um, the human way of life. He yep. wanted to return to a more primitive society. And one way that he did that, that is that he was basically very smart his whole life. And yeah, he had a very high IQ for his age. Yeah, like he enlisted in Harvard at the age of fourteen. Yeah, and um, or was it sixteen? Yes, yeah, sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. and I think his IQ in total was one hundred sixty-seven, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Very high, and basically, people really sympathized with this message to the point where the actions that he did, mostly mailing bombs and killing three people, injuring several others, they didn't matter as much as the message he put it. And still, a lot of people follow him. Like, I know myself, certainly, I do agree with this message. Um, did you know it has a book? Yep, and uh, I was about to ask you about that. Industrial Society and Its Future, where he basically, you know, writes in full detail about his anti-industrial society, you know, ideology and all that. So that's about how, he, yeah, the Industrial Revolution and its consequences have been a disaster for the yeah, human that's race. That's the opening paragraph, let's go. Yep. You ever read his manifesto? Um, yeah, actually, I, I've read it twice and I'm thinking on reading it again. Uh, I haven't, I'm afraid it's too, I'm afraid it's too catchy. Yeah, man! <laughs> uh, so you should read it definitely when you have time like once you start reading it once like you just can't get your mind off of it you know so returning to the broader subject why do you think all these young males they simplifies they create this shadow self let's say we, we some call it the sigma male version so basically sympathize with all these um, um fiction characters which are clearly morally wrong and yet we feel some sort of sympathy towards them especially young males around your age you know i think it's a sort of way of us fulfilling our primal desires right mm -hmm. because ever since the start of agriculture right like before the invention of agriculture like humans used to live in small interconnected groups called uh, tribes now um th there's also this um other book that's worth mentioning uh tribe by uh sebastian Junger. Yeah. i don't know if you've heard about it I've heard of it. yeah and basically in this book uh Junger argues that you know humans have always lived in yeah, throughout most of human history, humans have lived in these small groups or tribes where they would basically uh, work together. Each member of the tribe had, you know, played their own role in securing food or, you know, um, or firewood and other stuff like that to survive. And that these tribesmen, let's call them that, were, were more happy. They were more fulfilled with their lives than modern man. They were closer to nature. And unlike so, with modern man who has lost contact with nature and his relationship with animals and trees. So basically, participation, yeah. um, life before was more fulfilling to the average man than life today. Exactly, it, and it also allowed us more space to fulfill our. And also, uh, primitive hunter-gatherer societies like also had less work hours. So you know how um, most people today, right? They work a nine-to-five job, forty hours a week, compared to 
the I think it was twenty hours a week that hunter gatherer yeah. societies had. Yeah. That's what I think it most. And this basically gave them, you know, more leisure time. Yeah. This gave them more time to reflect and to admire the nature around them, which there was plenty of, and and it was all unspoiled. It was all untouched compared to nowadays, where the industrial revolution has caused such severe damage to the natural world that, you know. Did you hear about how in 2050 there will be more plastic in the oceans than fish? No, what I've I've heard that, but also there's a chance that by 2050 there will literally be no clear air to breathe. Now I don't no think clean air. I I really think people underestimate the importance of that because we literally will be out of oxygen by 2050. That means the end of the world. In any, in, in every definition, that means the end of the world. And yet people act like it's nothing. In fact, we continue to accelerate it, maybe even earlier. Uh, the rate of nature's pollution is so bad and we never learn about it. We always have to make those projects in like elementary school where we make a, a poster about save the world. We only have one planet. Yeah, recycling and yeah, stuff Yeah, we like always that. have to do that, but I don't think it makes kids truly understand how bad the situation is. I think maybe they don't want us to really know how bad the situation is, but Earth is at a point where the damage we've caused is irreversible. Some of our um, disastrous footprints will be left here for centuries, millennia, maybe hundreds of thousands of years. And basically, even if we were to stop right now with every sort of pollution, it will still have massive impacts on nature. Uh, global warming will continue for years to come. I think this may be truly the end as the world as we know it for the next 100 years. And now, Knowing all of this, let's say you're a young teenage male born in the early 2000s, roughly. Yeah. And, you know, you're in adolescence, right? You start learning more about the world. You start becoming more self-aware. And you s start learning about stuff like this. How, in that case, do you expect to have any hope for the future? And it's no wonder that, you know, that suicide rates are at an all-time high depression and anxiety rates are you know increasing more and more each year I, I think it really comes down to that modern world it doesn't give you anything to believe in humans need something to believe in and for basically all of our, all of our history it used to be God but then as um, Nietzsche a, a German philosopher said um, God is dead and we have killed him what yep, by and that is, yeah, the age of enlightenment, yeah. as previously stated. And he basically wanted to say that um, the concept of God is all but dead at this point. Since humans don't really believe in it anymore, we've been constructed not to believe, and that's how society works. So now we have to find all these other things to fulfill our need to believe. That's why I think causes more most of the problems, depression and suicide. We either can't find anything to believe in, which leads to suicide, obviously, when you don't have a reason to yep, live to suicidal suicide. thoughts and nihilism. Or when we do find something to believe in, it's very unfulfilling and it makes our lives very sufferable. We find pleasure in things which don't really have meaning and we numb ourselves the pleasure to forget basically the pain, yeah, the suffering. Yeah, with, you know, various methods, whether it be alcohol or hard drugs. Uh, we try to find meaning in mean, meaningless TV shows and and so on, but I, I don't yep, think... Yep, vapid consumerism and materialism. Because I think if we follow the latter, we used to firstly believe in the concept of God as our primary driver, um, primal driver force. 
But then we kind of switched it up to believing in uh, na- the nation state and our fellow countrymen yep. as a true believer. And that was around the 19th century. But then after World War II, I think that also kind of died, the concept of nationalism. It, it became associated yep. with a bad meaning. So when you can't believe in your primal instincts, like your hunter-gatherer's ancestors could, you can't believe in God anymore, you can't believe in nation, in the concept of a nation anymore, then you're really, you're really left out of options as to what to believe. We, had, we created ideologies to fulfill that need, but they also failed. And most modern ideologies, like liberalism, they don't really make you believe in anything. I think the whole point is to not believe in anything. And when a man is stripped of, you know, when he finds out that his way of life is basically meaningless, he, you know, falls into a deep depression and basically kills himself. You know, um, anthropologist uh, Ernest Becker once noted that, you know, uh, there have been instances where Native American tribes, well, not just Native American, but like tribesmen in general, you know, when they when they're subjected to modern society and they find out that their way of life is basically meaningless they basically lie down and die besides streams full of fish you know they have plenty of food but they just refuse to eat and they just lie down and die food is not the primary nourishment of man it is belief if i can say so so if i were to summarize in a quick way what you said is that the main problem nowadays, especially for young males, is we lack something to believe in. You know, for me, was, yeah. you know, for me, it all started with like, you know, ever since humans gained consciousness, right? Ever since we became self-aware. That was and, long ago. Yeah. yeah, and separate from, you know, the animals and plants and the rest of the natural world. You know, that was the very first, you know, I think, step towards um towards our self-destruction but you know after that you know for thousands of years we basically you know lived in small tribes we were close to nature but then agriculture came along and with it came also the early city-states and the rise of great civilizations you know think egypt or mesopotamia Mm -hmm. or china and india and all those others and you know with these civilizations also came the need for people to have you know a sense of morality and a sen- and a belief system and that's where you know all these mass organized religions came in Judaism Christianity Islam Hinduism Buddhism and all those others but then uh you know in the 18th century And I'll just come out and say this right now. The 18th century was the most defining century for in the history of humankind. Right. Because, you know, first of all, we had the Age of Enlightenment, which rejected the religious texts and promoted the scientific method. And then after the Enlightenment, you know, obviously with the promotion of the scientific method came the rise of, you know the machines and the industrial revolution Mm -hmm. and then after that came uh the french revolution which significantly altered you know the political landscape of the entire world because up until that point uh basically all of human societies were 
controlled by an absolute monarch, but then the French Revolution came with all these ideas of libertarianism and individualism, which would ultimately give rise to, you know, ideologies like communism or socialism and all that. So, I think when you look at the long term, you know, there's not really much we can do about the stuff that happened 5,000 years ago. I think we can focus on today was the problem and so I want to make this quick and basically ask this one simple question. What can the modern young male, to, um, what can he do to try and make his life at least somewhat more meaningful, uh, somewhat less of, uh, miserable and how, what advice would you give shortly? Well, for me personally, right? Mm -hmm like someone should obviously find god right god okay and you know in my opinion god is nature and nature is beauty so obviously uh young men need to be exposed to nature more and to slowly but surely return to the ways of their ancestors you know the tribal ways because only by, you know, learning about the tribal ways and, you know, the ways of our ancestors can we truly be, you know, fulfilled to a certain point. You, you ever heard about, you know, about Buddhism, right? Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. basically becoming really popular in the West. Mm -hmm. And, you know... I think that mainly has to do with the whole like main principle of Buddhism that life is suffering and that resonates with a lot of people in the West. Mm -hmm. I get it. So because I think this episode should come to about a wrap now. Basically the average young man should try to return as much to uh, tradition, to the traditional way of life while also trying to uh, flush out the negatives of traditional life and basically try to find God and also search for the truth. It's a very complicated message. I obviously can't summarize it in 10 seconds, but I think I'll have to wrap it up here. So I thank you very much for coming to the show, Besort. Again, glad I could be here, man. Can't wait to see you, and we are out. Thanks to...